0: Welcome to Stories of Growth, a series of conversations with modern-day business leaders who share their stories of growth and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm William Rowe, founder and CEO of Protein. I've been helping businesses grow for over 20 years and I've always been fascinated with the people behind these businesses, where they've come from and what drives them forward.
1: I feel like it's it's not enough to be a futurist. I want to be involved in things right now that are going to make an impact in the short term, but hopefully for the long term. So I've called myself, I don't know, it's a bit wanky, a nowist.
0: (laughs) Corinna Nobbs is a hard one to pin down. Designer, lecturer, author, moderator, and more recently, entrepreneur, with the launch of Hot Second, the world's first circular economy concept store. Launched in November 2019 at Protein Studios, it traded physical products for digital experiences. I catch up with Corinna over Google Hangouts from our new home in Ibiza. Very excited to have Corinna uh, on Stories of Growth and um, really picking up our conversation uh, that we had before pre-lockdown and pre-relocation to Ibiza, very jealous. Um, maybe we can start with uh, you know, just a brief intro in terms of um, what you've been up to, what you might be known for, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, and um, we'll take it from there.
1: It's actually funny that you asked that question because literally today I've just changed who I am. So, oh really? Yeah, S- so significant. Before, well, I, I can,
0: think can, can we can can. have can we have the before and after?
1: course so before I um, was kind of um, setting myself up to be a futurist an academic and a founder and each of these kind of like three um, aspects kind of play to the different phases or roles that I've had in my life so um, I kind of I started my career on the shop floor but I studied um, retailing after realizing that I I did start actually a degree in, um, Psychology because I thought I wanted to be a criminal psychologist, but then I realized actually it was uh consumer psychology I liked. But I blame Robbie Coltrane and Cracker for that <laughs> um bump in the road. But anyway, um and then um I worked in visual merchandising uh whilst I was studying, post-studying uh for United Colors of Benetton and kukai when it was big in the in 90s, and also Ralph Lauren, and then um, kind of by accident the the professor who um, I had studied my uh, postgraduate degree with said we think you'd be quite good at teaching would you want to try it and I was like yeah I'll try it. So wait what what year was this? This was like 2001. I'm coming up for 20 years as an academic that's nuts. Congrats. (laughs) And yeah so I just like accidentally tried it and then I just really loved like the interaction and the ability to help other people see different perspectives and think of like alternative ways of doing things or like looking for patterns and things in order to I don't know like either find meaning or see new meaning so I worked as an educator full-time for um about 10 years 11 years and then uh, throughout that time I researched and published in the field of um retailing uh, specifically looking at the evolution of store formats so flagship stores and pop-up stores were my favorite speciality so I traveled all around the world and tried to understand the kind of like form and function of them and then I got bitten like by the digital bug when people started kind of like um going on social media when I say people I mean brands as well as consumers and um, building websites and I remember going to loads of conferences and being that kind of annoying person who was like one time I went to Stuart Rose the CEO when he was CEO of Marks and Spencer's and went do you think social media is right for your brand and he was like I don't know you tell me which kind of feels hilarious now
0: wait, wait wait time stamp that one when was that
1: time stamp oh well I don't like early mid-2000s I guess
0: okay that yeah. is early. Well,
1: late late no late yeah. for that they should have been on social media at that I
0: mean point. late for them but yeah early in the general conversation yeah
1: yeah And then as I was getting more into digital stuff, I was trying to push it to come into the curriculum more. And because of the way that academia is, I just kept on kind of like, it was just really hard. And I was kind of, I was, it was like dampening my energy consistently over a while. So I was like one day after a four hour management meeting, I just quit my job, even though I didn't have anything to go to. Um, and it's kind of around about that time that I became, well, I started becoming um, a strategist or a kind of consultant, working with agencies and brands, particularly doing kind of like trendscapes and being at the start of projects, helping to kind of understand future fashion strategy. And so I kind of uh, fell in love with the notion of kind of like futurism. Um, and I worked, started, I had a, a retainer Um, four days a week with the creative technology agency Holition in London which I loved I was their head of strategy and head of marketing for um, almost three years Um, and then I was doing that I was doing like a million other jobs and I knew I was getting kind of like close to burnout so I was like my grandmother died and she left me some money and I was and my lease was up on my apartment and I was like I was just a bit yeah I was like this is a chance this is an opportunity so I took six months out and during that time I was kind of like hoping that something would kind of come up um in terms of a business effectively that I I would like to kind of like create and so it did the the digital fashion kind of started seed started kind of sprouting Uh, whilst I was traveling around the world I was watching the PR kind of blowing up about carlings and the fabricant etc and when I came back I was on a panel with Kerry from the fabricant and I started speaking to contacts who I knew in the sector and asking them what do you think about this digital fashion and stuff And they were like, what the fuck? Uh, I've got no idea. What should we be thinking about it? And I just instantly knew that was the space I wanted to get into next because there was so much confusion and kind of curiosity. So that's the kind of long answer for kind of like academic uh, or educator, um, futurist or uh, strategist and founder. And so today, one, I realized I think there's too many futurists around. So... um, I obviously want to like practice what I preach and have an element of differentiation and kind of competitive advantage, hopefully. And two, the more I think about the future, and I have like now tattooed on my hand. So like one of the most, um, impressing books on me I've ever written is Eckhart Hall's like the power of now. And I guess with everything that's happened in the, in the past um, couple of months in terms of, um, Corona and the, the racial injustice movement. I feel like it's it's not enough to be a futurist. I have to I have to work like I can pontificate and I can tell you lots of stuff and I I, I still enjoy like studying in the future. But actually, I want to be involved in things right now that are going to make an impact in the short term, but hopefully for the long term. So I've called myself I don't know it's a bit wanky, a nowist. <laughs>
0: Ooh.
1: Yeah, so that's who I am today. <laughs> this
0: is this is an exclusive reveal.
1: This is hot off the press. Yeah, Just <laughs> all my bios.
0: Right, right now, literally today. <laughs> mm. I love it. A Taoist. Yeah, it has sort of religious undertones. Maybe it's it more does, like I the, Taoist, like that. Yeah, I, I like it though. um uh that i yeah i mean a, a lot to you know dig in on on mm-hmm. that level but from i guess the i mean the journey shall we shall, mm-hmm. and the and the story and and as we were just discussing when we last chatted which was i hadn't realized it was the day you were leaving for yeah. yes. um which was Next. i mean what was that that was 2 weeks before or lo- oh, no a bit longer before lockdown yeah. um but maybe just uh, touch on you know, that experience of, mm. you know, the obviously pretty significant relocation. I think we discussed mm. about your wardrobe quite a lot um, <laughs> <laughs> as one of the main headaches um, in terms of just logistics, but more in terms of the reality of, of relocating to, you know, somewhere like Ibiza, which is, you know, mm. I- idyllic. But with the additional layer of a, you know, of a lockdown, I mean, Mm. how is that?
1: Um, I mean, I think I'm not necessarily always known for my practical ability. Like I'm very good at like, like big picture stuff is definitely more of a strength of um, how I view things. So the idea was like what got me through, and like you say, like as part of the packing up process, I decided to lay out all my garments and find out how many garments I had to decide what to take and what not to take. And the average person has between the average Londoner has between one hundred and fifty to two hundred. I had almost nine hundred pieces of clothing, which was like really shocking to me. Um, even though like I knew I had a lot of stuff so that was interesting and difficult and I managed to get it down to 365 because I thought that's mildly um uh acceptable um and yeah I don't know I didn't think about the emotional thing of kind of like moving here and then when I actually did get here um uh, I drove with just my plants, a bottle of red wine and one of my best friends in my car. It's a bit called the cliché police, but um, <laughs> it was it was really fun. We went like wine tasting in Sancerre on the way here and uh, went for amazing tapas and Steejes outside Barcelona. It was like lots of fun. And then got here. I was back and forth uh, traveling a little bit and then my st- all my stuff arrived from London 2 days before lockdown and before that I literally like I didn't I didn't have a duvet and my place doesn't have heat in. so there was a it was like a weird it was a weird time and then the, the lockdown in Spain was super super strict you weren't allowed out to exercise I don't have a, a massive social circle here yet and the people who I do know are quite far um across the other side of the island so the only exciting time as I'm sure many other people was like going to the supermarket which we were kind of really only supposed to do once a week which I did but having like I can see the sea like from where I am right now and we weren't allowed to go in the sea for almost 16 weeks So I was like itching to get out and experience and meet people, and I don't know, that was frustrating. And then obviously my only form of communication was technology and my phone and my laptop, and became a quite a. I mean, it was already a bit of a love hate relationship because my screen time is super high, but that was definitely like exacerbated throughout lockdown
0: and now it's getting easier
1: now it's getting easier yeah you can come and go as you please you can swim in the sea actually I got it I got it wrong I thought at the end of phase two you were allowed to go in the sea so I ran out at eight because <laughs> we had a, we had allotted slots here that like um if you were in a certain age group you were allowed out eight till 10 in the morning and eight till 11 at night so 8 p.m at night I ran down and jumped in the sea um and everyone was kind of looking at me, and I was like, "Why am I the only one in on the sea?" And then I realised that actually it wasn't for another like three weeks you were allowed to go in the sea. But <laughs> I didn't get fined. I lived to tell the tale, and I was that seat. That kind of um, that swim was like majestic.
0: Wow. <laughs> that's yeah but that's what the the general sentiment is what certainly feels like it's it's very much you know bottled emotions at the moment and when the release and as the release happens you know it's just a whole nother level of appreciation for those you know seemingly daily mundanes that are like oh wow that just tastes so good, or you know, mm. feels so good, or you know, just seeing people in not on a screen. Um, mm. Yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely a new level of appreciation. I mean,
1: mm.
0: personally, from what I, uh, I've I've experienced, but yeah, even just chatting to mates and um, you know, people around. That's 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 generally the sentiment that uh, um, yeah that is prevailing at the moment. Definitely. Um, And you talk about the, and is it irony? (laughs) I'm not quite (laughs) sure. The fact that you escaped to Ibiza to escape the technology, but then you were, you know, (laughs) contained in Ibiza, you know, only able to use technology. Um, But on a wider scale outside of your personal experience, what have you seen? uh, you know, h- how have you seen, um, you know, things change and, you know, specifically around digital fashion, you mm. know, specifically around, you know, the impact of, you know, fashion as an industry, uh, and some of the responses that have come through, you know, some very good, you know, some not so good, uh, mm. yeah, it'd be good just to get your viewpoint on, 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 on some of those points.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it feel you feel somewhat guilty saying it's an exciting time for digital fashion because everything, the kind of the movement towards it, has been expedited, particularly by brands who either need to sell the inventory they've already got or. Um, are looking to the collections they're in the process of kind of selling, they need to sell them at, from a kind of wholesale perspective. So the, the growth we've seen in virtual runway shows, um, digital showrooms by wholesalers and PR companies, um, as well as I would say there's also been a lift. And I guess that's one of the, been the most um, interesting things for me to watch in the openness of consumers to actually spend cold hard cash on a digital item so two companies in particular one called Robo and one called uh, Tribute Brands uh, both launched um, during lockdown uh, one Robo sells a, a digital hoodie that's 40 euros and Tribute Brand sells pieces that range between kind of like nine euros and 19 euros and they, I've I've I'm kind of talked to both of the founders um, considerably and they've had like amazing reaction and um, like penny dropping moments, I suppose, by consumers that are like, ah, actually this digital fashion thing ain't so crazy after all. They can see that there's a potential kind of like use case for it. And I think it's opened up discussions um with brands although obviously depends on the financial structure of said brands if they were already running a very tight ship financially anyway they seem to be a lot still pretty reluctant to um, invest in innovation for innovation's sake, if you like, because obviously there's still a a really strong kind of like survival mentality. Like, will the brand be able to uh, be in existence still in six um, months' time? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of this kind of like, I don't know, disparity of um, budget allocation or, or stuff like that. But I mean, the press coverage around digital fashion has been really encouraging. There's been a lot of hype which is good. But I think we also have to be careful of hype and try and qualify what actual use cases. That's something I'm really working on a lot at the moment to identify what are the use cases and um, like who is the digital fashion consumer because they're still a little bit unknown at the moment.
0: For those who aren't fully up to speed, in the art of nowism um <laughs> what explain digital fashion
1: sure so digital fashion is effectively a, a computer generated render of a, a garment or an accessory that is able to be worn In inverted commas um as part of a virtual world or a game or potentially used um uh, in, in an augmented reality experience. And the kind of third kind of way that you can um, interact with it is through artificial intelligence, kind of using deep fake technology where your um, your face is kind of superimposed onto um, uh, typically like a, a film of uh, a physical garment if that makes any sense. So the exciting thing about digital fashion is that obviously it's still really in its infancy Um, And the kind of the the step that we've still got to get to is where can we see digital fashion being an asset in itself that can potentially be traded, that you could have a digital wardrobe where you can learn, for instance, if you buy a physical item, you get a digital version that you can learn how to optimize your wardrobe, uh, a.k.a. like kind of share in Clueless um or just purely digital garments that help you um i don't know play out a kind of a fantasy or a role that you want to demonstrate in your kind of like digital identity online mm.
0: and just again for for contexts um mm. uh, maybe a couple of good case studies of brands or businesses currently in digital fashion and um yeah how they're how they're making waves
1: So. I mean, one of the biggest waves towards the end of last year was when Louis Vuitton decided to partner with League of Legends and create a limited limited edition skin. So this was only available in-game for around about 40 euros um, so that you could... Um, wear that skin whilst you kind of play the game another thing which is kind of massively uh, increased which has been super interesting to watch is the growth of animal crossing the nintendo game mm-hmm. and uh, again during lockdown as a kind of life simulation and the thing that i found particularly uh, interesting about this and i wrote about it was that it was individual creators who were recreating big designers small designers um within the game before the brands like wised up to it so since now already kind of people like mark jacobs valentino um and, and many more have created um again kind of like skins uh for the animal crossing kind of type game um and that's something that we're going to we're going to definitely see more of because there's so many fashion brands that want a slice of the virtual goods gaming sector because it's huge, mm. basically.
0: But I mean, it was my that was my next question. You know, how big? Because like, this is not um, you know, like there's two questions there, right? Mm. What is the size of the potential size of the market, and yeah. you know, what is the timeline that that is then going to start? you know significantly showing up on the you know fashion brands um you know pnl's because
1: yeah
0: yeah i think there's no question of what well, it's here you know it, yeah. it was it was always there within in the gaming mm-hmm. world in terms of avatar skins and you know yeah. uh, styling personalizing your online personas so you know the the concept is isn't necessarily new um you know but the application of it within you know a a, a true And it's true fashion and, you know, Mm -hmm. consumer lens, yeah, that's what's new. Mm. And it's that transition into, you know, Louis Vuitton, for example, you know, recognising how many $40, you know, skins, Mm. I mean, the cost attached to that relatively small because there's no actual physical product, you know, no environmental impact. I mean, you could question in terms of the sustainability of the servers that run the games, but... yeah i the, those are two quite big questions in terms of mm. the business case for for digital fashion um and again it would be good to get your view on what you know what that could look like
1: i mean the figures are staggering they are it's estimated i think it's by next year the virtual in game goods market is meant to be around hundred and fifty billion a hundred to hundred and fifty billion well, but Collins. that's the kind of yeah um And that's just like the, in, in the in game. I mean, that also covers like guns and swords as well as like sneakers and jackets and stuff. But again, like you've mentioned, the, the precedent and the, uh, the user experience is already inbuilt. What isn't there yet totally is the, the relationship between the brands and the games publishers. But I mean, that's imminent, I would say.
0: Yeah. And then also how that translates or more more accurately, um, you know, it, it moves on from the gaming yeah. platforms into, you know, the social platforms. Uh, because yeah. that to me is the, you know, obviously is the scale uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, consumer... Uh, you know, focus, uh, what well, execution for it. Um, mm. and, yeah, hence the carling example, which I think is is great uh, mm-hmm. in terms of just really recognizing the fact that your yeah, digital personas are exactly that. You know, personas—they're mm. not our real selves. For those folks that are, uh, you know, are buying in inverted commas expensive things just for the insta yeah. and then sending them back, like just recreate it uh in in your own way Mm. and you know there's a number of different layers of what a question in there one why are you doing it in the first place um (laughs) two
1: me or them
0: (laughs) no not you them in terms of buying their louis vuitton just for the insta um but That's the, something
1: that I hope the, pan, tem, the pandemic hmm. may have dampened somewhat, yeah. um, d- which is exactly
0: like, my yeah. you know my line of questioning here, cool. and and really, uh, uh, you know, and it is a reality check in all senses of the word that the pretty much the entire world has been put on lockdown, and you know, as per our actual recent report, you know, an element of reflection and you know realization as to you know, prioritization
1: What's and mm.
0: and exactly what what is actually important, um, and yeah, you know, how that translates into brand world. You know, how that translates into you know the world of influencers, um, which is yeah you know, has already seen a, a, a big shift, mm. and I guess it's really m- marrying those two, you know, shifts of behavior, and you know, seeing what the results are going to be, um, and and that to me feels like well an opportunity obviously mm-hmm. uh but really how brands can help r- navigate that in terms of how they show up um you know and as with any brands and uh, it's not even a campaign yet right these are concepts you know, yeah where where should they really be starting
1: Camping's
0: coming soon hopefully <laughs> <laughs> oh, well maybe you can tell us about it um so yeah, I mean maybe again just touch on a little bit more about this the timeline and and you know how you see this evolving as a as a new category as a new as a new sector.
1: <laughs> so there's a lot in there, but I mean the things that kind of jump out Right away are, in all my research and and also other people who I know who are researching this space, the number one reason outside the gaming sphere for consumers to interact with digital fashion is to help them decide whether or not to purchase the physical piece, first of all, so that almost a third of people um, in every research study that I've undertaken, that's come through. So... and
0: that's pure fashion mm, that's like
1: yeah that's buying
0: actual you know branded products not gamers trying out skins
1: exactly so the two kind of avenues for that or the three kind of avenues are some a virtual try-on function on your e-commerce page Mm -hmm. and uh, as you can
0: with watches or glasses
1: yeah exactly um uh, an AR experience um, in store, effectively like a magic mirror type experience, which some brands have experimented with, but the, the cost of the hardware is like pretty high. so that's typically always something that puts them off. And then we also have um, the social platforms, as you mentioned, who are, as we speak, working on effectively full body or like trackable filters, certainly from the top half anyway. It's kind of hard to do it. It's hard to take a selfie of yourself in a full-length filter because I've tried it. Um, Not that it's all about selfies, but that obviously is one of the the outputs. So some of it, those sorts of things relate to when does a brand or a multi-brand invest in the tech to uh, integrate that into a website? When do the social platforms integrate that technology? So a lot of that is definitely in the, in the hands of the brands and like every pitch I do with retailers and brands at the moment is like appealing to them in terms of this, like experimentation. Um, and also if you look at the digital, the the process of digitalization, which brands like Tommy Hilfiger are kind of like probably one of the ones that are uh, most ahead of when you digitalize the garment right at the very beginning of the production process obviously there's a a sustainability and kind of reduction of waste element in terms of whether and when that's produced. And we have things like on-demand manufacturing that are becoming made to order that becoming excitingly kind of like more important and like the move towards purchase activated production and away from forecast sales. I really believe that's going to be the future because it has to be. Um, And, what else there was one other thing that I've just kind of forgotten I can't remember that was a lot <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean whilst you remember coming back to the yes. sustainability point um mm. and that to me is a, a massive one right uh, in yeah. terms of you know more people on the planet you know less resource uh, generally to clothe and to feed them yeah. Um, you know, but there is a, there is a but like in terms of adoption, people still need to wear clothes and, you know, still need to exist in, you know, the real world. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess, uh, how big potentially do you feel, you know, for a, you know, a percentage sake, mm. you know, digital fashion will make up as part of a, 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 a sector?
1: Um, Putting
0: your futurist hat back on.
1: I know. Um, it's funny because I've had a lot of semi-arguments with people on different social platforms about this. Because some people have said, "Well, is it an addition, or is it? Are people going to buy digital fashion instead of consuming phys- physical fashion?"
0: Yeah, fair point.
1: And I think obviously there—that's—it's incremental. So initially, there would be there's an experimentation, and there's a novelty factor. Should I try this? Like, what? Uh, like, is it? Is it fun? Is it? Does it fit? Like what i'm into then hopefully once there's a bit more of a proliferation of choice in terms of like what we said the places that you can find it and also the brands that do it i i I do feel that there is going to be i'm trying to think of the percentage wise i mean in terms of the mass population that's going to take a hell of a lot longer because people we know are attached to to physical things yeah yep. and like i have also been and am still that person to a certain extent um but i don't know i would say within uh, like two years time i think it will be for the early adopters and the kind of early, and the um innovators hopefully at least between five and ten percent of your wardrobe wow That's pretty okay conservative guess but
0: And what is the use case for that in terms of those early adopters? How would they wear this fashion?
1: So... On social profiles, I think as we increasingly still are going to be living a lot of our lives through video chats and Zooms and um, things like that, I think it will become easier to effectively have a full filter where you can wake up in the morning, you don't need to put makeup on, you don't need to have a shower, you don't need to get changed, and you just like put on your Zoom filter and you're dressed with a makeup and your hair done, ready to go. So that's one
0: thing. <laughs> I hadn't even, now you mention it, I mean, that is the use case, right? And especially yeah. in lockdown, which, and I think the only reason why Zoom won is because you could change the background. Um, <laughs> exactly. I mean, really, because the technology hasn't changed for 15 years and everybody kind of does the same thing, but that's the killer feature. You can put your crazy, yeah. I don't know, Caribbean beach scene behind you, Um But that's got to be it, right? When you want to get up in the morning and you haven't shaved and you've got to do your presentation, you know, I reckon
1: for the mass market, yes,
0: click to add on. I was because
1: it's genuine,
0: yeah. And there was a guy yesterday I was chatting to, he got pulled into a presentation, you know, he was at home, you didn't have a press (laughs) shirt, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, throws it on, and it's like, well, of course, if you can superimpose that, then off we go, yeah,
1: I get Mm. it. And then I think there also will be, I think, in the not too distant future, if you look at games like Fortnite that have now created like kind of spectator modes, so that even if you're not a gamer, you can go into Fortnite and you can watch a a gig or you can watch a fashion show. I think there's, again, in the pretty short term future, going to be more places where we can Be seen in digital things. And that obviously is going to speed up the kind of like appetite for it.
0: Yeah. Ready player one.
1: Mm, Exactly. Interesting. We're all going to be taking lots of whatever to keep us in our virtual (laughs) worlds.
0: Crazy. But surely there is the other side of that. And Mm -hmm. not, you know, admitting the fact that you're currently an Ibiza. And mm-hmm. you know, trying to escape technology. <laughs> I think that's why you went, isn't it? Um but,
1: no. <laughs> but, I want a better balance.
0: Okay, sorry, mm-hmm. not to escape it, to have a better mm-hmm. balance. But you know, that uh you know, where does that play in this in terms of that balance? And yes, because technology can pretty much, and especially if we're talking, you know, the darker side of this in terms of deep fake and mm. you know, some pretty i mean where do you even want to start with that like the that technology is phenomenal i mean in in positive but also negative Mm -hmm. uh but but where do you see that balance sort of being established
1: uh i mean i think it's a i think it will be and it continues to be a, a daily struggle of sorts you just you have to find what's the right thing for you um, like for instance, now every Sunday I go, I do screen free, screen free Sunday, and I have one day a week when I have no uh, video calls, uh, or try to have no calls at all. Uh, but I'll admit the audio one, and especially if it's someone like I'm really trying to seduce from a work perspective. Um, but I don't know, yeah, an awareness of like your own. I mean, it's kind of ironic, right? Like I use meditation apps and uh, I use technology to relax I use technology to do uh, yoga or exercise or to pretend I'm in a virtual nightclub when I'm not allowed to dance considering it's weird that I'm in Ibiza um so I think there's no short fixes to that it's about like finding your own barometer point and we, we all know you know when your eyes get sore you know when you get um um like a bit of an empty feeling or frustrated or angry or stressed or when you're if you're maybe lost in a rabbit hole of looking at other people that you're competing with and then that brings on an anxiety greater awareness I guess and then experimentation about um what's right for you
0: yeah and that's the journey right in Mm -hmm. terms of understanding what that balance is and what is right for you just rewinding a bit and coming back to, you know, early Corinna. Um, mm. Tell me a little bit about your, um, you yeah, know, where you grew up uh, and <laughs> your more, more sort of childhood molding experiences that might translate <laughs> might translate into your current experiences.
1: I'm laughing because, as like many people, even though I live in Ibiza, I've like been looking in the content archives and I've been posting a lot of images of me like as a kid and I think it's kind of like quite funny most of them involve like copious amounts of like knitwear um which are kind of quite funny like matching outfits um
0: you got brothers and sisters
1: yeah I've got a younger brother who's like seven years younger than me who um I like I just tried to be like his mum when I was like younger and dress him up and all stuff like that which he obviously loves me for not (laughs) um I don't know the young Corinna was I always wanted to be a tv presenter and so I hope that one day that's like one goal that I haven't ticked yet so um I'm still trying to think about what the right angle for that is
0: surely in an online digital (laughs) tv show with a fully like made up digital fashion wardrobe (laughs) ready to go like that's that's already written no
1: boom yeah potentially but I feel that it also has to be like accessible so I don't know one idea I'm playing with at the moment is around like um like understanding people's wardrobes and the value of clothes and trying to look at the links between that between physical and digital because I think that that's something that everyone can relate to and everybody wants to see I think we've seen that in during the pandemic like I'm excited to see inside your house well <laughs> like other people yeah. are as well and um, that kind of nosiness factor but um yeah that was kind of when I was young and I don't know I think I always had a bit of a entrepreneurial side like I got expelled from school once for selling conkers and I was like I'll give the money to charity if you like don't punish Wait, me.
0: you got expelled you got expelled for selling conkers
1: yeah I thought I was being like um I don't know, proactive.
0: Well, I mean, what were you say se- how much were you selling them for?
1: 15 P <laughs> for the big ones. <laughs> <laughs> and then for my seventeenth birthday, obviously because you're not allowed to drink when in the UK when you're um eighteen until you're eighteen, I had a fake eighteenth birthday party that I sold tickets for. And like if you didn't have ID, I didn't give you a refund. So I guess there is like a there's a tough shopkeeper <laughs> stroke promoter in me somewhere
0: <laughs> oh, i love that and uh, where where was this
1: uh, in edinburgh okay. in edinburgh yeah so okay
0: all right good times and of those sort of experiences if you can file them onto that <laughs> um you know which of those do you feel have prevailed in terms of some of those <clears throat> you know i guess guiding uh, I don't know parental you know decisions um in terms of you know your outlook and mm. in your attitude
1: I mean I've always been super determined and like my mom always told me growing up that I would always be like I'd be like no mom I'll do it myself and then she did she that I constantly did like it said like the like the five, that the five whys um like why 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 why, why as many other kind of toddlers do and I was always be saying but mom there's an there's another way to do that it's not just your way so I guess that's like that's been a constant theme like throughout my life and also this notion about kind of curiosity like I have it in most of like my bios that I'm hyper curious I have it tattooed on my arm stay curious I feel that that's very much kind of aligned to I don't know re- remaining relevant uh whether that's from a professional professional or a personal point of view um and I've always been like quite a voracious learner so I'm. Um, uh, I love and I'm any any in any business entity that I kind of have going forward will always have an education thread within it Mm -hmm. and I will still continue to to teach because that like I don't know it brings me a lot of like and it's a cliche but like I learn when I teach and the interaction with people is like super important.
0: And that curiosity.
1: Even though, can I just sorry, add that when right. I pitched the digital fashion idea to a bunch of my students, they were like, that's shit, it's rubbish.
0: <laughs> and I was like,
1: oh my God.
0: The toughest sorry. audience out there is Yeah, your exactly. <laughs> Take a full room of like VPs and business execs, but yeah, you've got a shade on your students. Yeah. Um, but was that a mindset? Was that? attitude you know was that encouraged by your parents like was that from your parents like tell me a little bit about that
1: that relationship i mean i was the first person in, in my family i think to go to university and my dad was like a kind of self-made guy he was like big in, big in photocopiers back in the day and then uh, my family used to be really wealthy actually to a certain point and then they lost all their money in the cra- in the eight- in the crash in the 80s so i experienced crazy things like my dad buying a rolls royce for my mom and i had my own little treehouse when i was young to then kind of be in like we had a yacht and then to having like nothing but i didn't i didn't necessarily notice I don't know a difference in I don't know how I was treated or what I thought, but I think that has shaped me. I don't know in a, in some ways to also like not not be fixed on monetary things as well because it can come and go like just like that. Mm. I guess that's something that I've kind of like learned. And unfortunately, my my dad was never really quite the same ever again when that happened. It really affected his. Ego, effectively i don't want to be like that <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's why we learn yeah right no it's it's always i mean it's why i ask the questions as well because mm. i find the relationship and you know obviously parental but mm. in terms of who we are as individuals um an area that often isn't yeah, reflected on and you know really understood um yeah and you know it's 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 a it's a rich source of of understanding I think in in in, in <laughs> my
1: therapist tells me that as well oh, well wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're not going to go into therapy land but you know that to me as part of you know these conversations and you know as much as where you're going it's you know it's where you're from and mm. you know, really using that and playing on those strengths and remembering those moments of, you know, those defining moments of like, oh, shit yeah, that happened. And, you know, that's why it yeah. that happened. And, you know, that's why I felt like that afterwards, selling conkers and getting expelled. I love that story. <laughs> um, I, I used think to, I used so to much... cut hair at school, but I never like over like three Ooh. quid a cut, but I never that's... got expelled for that. <laughs> it was like. <laughs> boys school with some clippers but that was uh, my sort of entrepreneurial uh exercise I mean there was a bunch of schemes at school but um but anyway
1: I guess another thing I don't know as well like my mum and dad split up when I was like 16 I know this isn't a the therapy part but um my dad then went to like go and kind of do his own thing and have be a bit more at a distance and so my mum was just like amazing at being able to like raise two kids by herself when like by her own admission, like all she ever wanted to do when she was younger was be a mum. She didn't necessarily have a separate like career aspiration as such. And I guess internally I always thought I need to make sure that if I'm ever in that situation that I have the the ability to be able to kind of like look after myself. So that kind of like fierce independence was definitely um I don't know I I saw it as a positive thing but also like a a tricky thing as well and I don't know now like I'm the ripe old age of 41 and I'm, I'm currently single and I'm like am I gonna have to consider having a baby like by myself it's not what I want to do but I think it might be what I have to do and that's another and then also how do you fit that in with Trying to launch like new businesses and stuff like that. It's like, I don't know, it's a conundrum of a different kind of variety.
0: Yeah, for sure. And yeah, all related to you know age and stage. Um, mm. uh, also... Love an
1: age appropriate milestone. <laughs>
0: <Yep>. <laughs> but what does your mum think about it all?
1: Uh, <laughs> when I said to her, Relatively recently, I was like, Mom, like, I still haven't met anybody in particular significant. I think I might have to have a baby by myself. Will you help me? And she was like, Yes, of course. She was like, But I mean, what do you have to offer? <laughs> like, Wait a minute. If that's your mom saying that, uh, like what, what chance I, have? I know she's funny. She's funny, though. But she was like, Yeah, of course. um So we'll see.
0: <laughs> oh, plenty to offer, Corinna. Plenty
1: yeah um
0: okay a couple of final questions mm-hmm. what's the best way of someone contacting you uh
1: social media obviously without proposal now <laughs> yeah <laughs> open to all options <laughs> um yeah instagram i mean all my social handles are my name um although it's yeah it's funny like my mom and dad split up when I was 16 um but I didn't change my name because people remember Corinna Knobs uh for good and bad reasons so I was like okay <laughs> I'm keeping it for the moment
0: oh, great <laughs> um and then final question who would you like to hear on the show any particular Ooh. people you've uh, or you've listened to you've read about you've seen you're curious to uh, hear more from
1: I mean, I guess someone who wasn't on my radar before, but whose posts I kind of almost follow religiously now is like Rachel Cargyle. Carlyle, Carlyle. Um, um, as the writer and the way that she like, I don't know, she like takes like a tweet that people have said about her and kind of like deconstructs the reason that they're kind of, like the way that she, the eloquence and the articulation of her arguments is something that I really aspire to be able to learn and understand and like many other people I'm going through a phase of unlearning and kind of questioning why I might have the beliefs that I have and also thinking about the notion of racial injustice going forward and is there a way that in like new businesses that I can make sure that there's an over-representation of people who've previously been underrepresented I think that's kind of uh been one of my plan of actions. Um I guess another person who um is actually a friend but who I met professionally is a um a girl called Jessica Graves who is a um product data scientist, dance um movement artist, DJ. She just like, and a lot of it has been like self taught and she like whenever even if we have just a short conversation she'll just say something that will quite often fundamentally change what i believe about certain things and i think that's really powerful if you can just even with a few sentences be able to spark new ideas or ways of thinking out in people
0: yeah for sure it's been a pleasure um really good to catch up and reconnect now you are relocated um <laughs> yeah. uh, any plans to come back to the uk if, you know when we let when you when we let you back in
1: yeah well I, we can we can get back in now and now they've just canceled the the 12 week uh 12 week 12 well whatever it is the quarantine 14 day,
0: thing. yeah quarantine yeah
1: um yeah definitely i mean i'm in talks with a number of different um UK uh, department stores and fashion companies who hopefully might sign off soon on a digital fashion project. So I definitely am keen to do another physical activation. Maybe it might be a Protein Studios again um, or inside um, a a retailer as well. So yeah, I can't kind of, can can I not wait to come back to London? I don't know if that's the right answer, but I'm looking forward to like seeing people again.
0: Sure,
1: and I think in, that your nightclubs in, in, might be open before our nightclubs are open. So I just I can't wait to dance next to people.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know that's that whole appreciation, right? Coming back of all those yes. things that you took for granted that are now like, oh man, I missed that.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, it's great. Well, we wish you luck. um Great to chat. Uh, Thank you so much. yeah, no worries. Great to hear your story properly again. And um, yeah. Uh, Good luck with the next steps.